No. Yes. Here we go. So, cool. Well, first of all, welcome back. If you were, weren't, if you were coming before, and if not, then welcome for the first time. Uh, this is uh, Church at Five, the uh, fully English service of Calvary Chapel, and uh, Happy New Year to you all. I hope you all had a nice, relaxing Christmas break, and uh, coming into the new year, I know I did. It was very relaxing. Didn't do a whole lot, but uh, that's sometimes nice as well. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit under the weather today, so you have to bear with me. But uh, in our text today, actually, Paul talks about how he went to the Galatians with because of an illness and uh, how his grace was enough. So we're just going to trust that God's grace is enough to get me through this service. And um, I want to share a little bit about this service, Church at Five, and kind of uh, one of, we have a few core values, a few kind of main goals or, that are a part of our DNA as a service, and uh, one of them I want to share with you is being safe, and uh, to us that means that we want this service to be like a home. Uh, never, in a home, not everything is always perfect, sometimes things don't go well, but we can always feel safe when we're coming home, and so it's my goal that... Uh, when people are coming to this service, that all of us together would have this kind of family feeling of being safe and being a place where we can be ourselves, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background is, that we would be uh, able to be at home here and feel safe. Um, and uh, something that I also want to kind of just add is that I'm, I'm really excited about 2017. I think that God has some really big things in store for Calvary Chapel and uh, I think he has some awesome things in store for this service as well. Uh, one of our goals for this year is to be growing more together as a community. We want to be strengthening each other. Uh, God calls us to be salt and light in the world. And uh, we need to be, we want to be as bright and as salty, if you will, as we can. And uh, the best way to do that is by strengthening each other. That's the main purpose of church. Biblically, church was created to build each other up, um, and that's our goal. And so one of our, our main goals here is to be strengthening and growing together as a community, and uh, we want to really emphasize that for this year. And with that in mind, we want to try to be doing some more outreach in Freiburg. Um, not sure exactly what that's going to look like. That's one of our topics for our first team meetings. I'm hoping that God also puts some things on other people's hearts um, again, we're a community, we're all in this together. And so, uh, but it is our goal to always be missional. If we are trying to build each other up so that we can be better salt and better light in the world, then we should also be looking at ways that as a community, we can be that, uh, be salt, be light in Freiburg. So that's another thing that's in mind for 2017. I think it's going to be a good year, challenging year, but I believe that uh, God has some things in store for us, and it's going to be hopefully a blessed year for us all. Now, last year, we were going through Galatians. We made it about halfway through, a little past halfway. And this uh, month, we're going to be continuing. It's the goal to finish by the end of January or the first week of February. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but um, if you are just joining us, the book of Galatians is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Galatia, which is a region what's now lower southern Turkey in the mountains, and uh, which we're going to be looking at a little bit. Uh, we get to see a little more of the kind of historical aspects of what brought Paul there. It's, it's not very specific, but there is some kind of insights that we'll get to look at. And the reason that Paul's writing this letter is because there were some false teachers that had come in, and uh, the Bible calls them Judaizers. So they were Jewish Christians, but they, uh, they were adding to the gospel, changing the gospel, and the people there were being led away from the truth. And the key phrase that we're going to be looking at today with that in mind is they were going back, going backwards. And I think that's something we can all relate to of uh, falling backwards or a, a, com a common phrase for that is backsliding in our Christianity. And um, that's kind of what Paul's going to be emphasizing. Now, in our last... Uh, service, which was the 18th of December, we talked about uh, how we are 
sons and daughters of God, that we're adopted into the family of God, and that our identity goes beyond just, uh, you know, who we are um, as individuals, but our identity is also found as sons and daughters of God. And we looked at how this phrase adopted is is really important because uh, anybody, you know, someone can have a child by accident, but people don't typically adopt a child by accident. God, God had you in mind. Jesus had you in mind on the cross. And there's this kind of uh, just uh, the way that he comes and, and rescues us from the world and adopts us into his family. And we looked at that and uh, we looked at how our purpose as his children is not in what we can do for God. It's not in our activities that we do for him, but it's in, uh, found in something else. It's our purpose is fulfilled in his loving us. So we are most fulfilled in our purpose when we are loved by God. And we looked at Jesus' example of uh, rivers of living water will flow from you. But of course, living water can't flow from us if it's not first flowing into us. And so we have to kind of open ourselves up to this love that God, this tremendous love that God has for us and that our identity is really first and foremost found in being loved by God as a son, as a daughter of God. And uh, before we get into our text for today, let's, I want to just uh, take a moment and pray for this time. Father, we thank you so much, as always, for your word, your precious word that's full of life and full of uh, your spirit. God, we want to ask you to open our hearts today. I believe your spirit is here. I know it is because you said your spirit will be sent to dwell within us. And so we're here, so that means your spirit is here. And so we ask you to just open us up and help us to be focused on what you would want to say to us. And let none of us here today, God, leave without hearing a word from you, as I know you want to speak to all of us. In your name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up, turn on. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4. And um, I always like to just take a moment and say, if you're here today and Christianity is a new thing for you, you're maybe just checking it out and you're, you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a believer or you're not sure exactly what that means, that uh, this text that we're looking at today is very directed to believers, uh, as most of the, a lot of the New Testament is. And um, it would be my hope that uh, you would hopefully get a better understanding of what we believe, why we believe it, and it's also my hope that you would have questions and that you would seek to find more answers. So, Let's start by reading through all of our text for today, which is going to be uh, verses 8 through 20. Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Are you observing special, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be always and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish 
I could be with you now to change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So let's start by looking at the first word in the first verse, formally, at least in my translation. Um, and we want to look at that because uh, it shows this distinction. Formally, it means that there was this distinction between what was and what is. And that's important for us to notice because it's a narrative that follows through all of the text and uh, something that we can also apply to our lives today when we think about who we were before Christ was manifested and and put into our hearts and we started this relationship with him and uh, after. So what was this kind of transition between who we were before, who we are after? And... uh, This phrase in the first verse, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Now, what does that mean? That's an interesting phrase. And I think first, we have to look at it in the context that he might and could possibly be referring to the pagan gods that uh, the people would have previously worshipped and the rituals that they had to perform. And I think, though, it's not just the actual gods or idols that they would have been worshiping, but the idea of being ritualistic. And I think that's where we can see this second application that goes for us today, which is, uh, we can look at it in a few different ways, because I'm, I imagine that's not, or most of us probably haven't bowed down to any pagan idols or sacrificed to them anytime soon. But we are all slaves to something. We were all, all enslaved by something. And uh, one of those is our own desire. We can be enslaved by our own desires. And I think before Christ comes into our lives and renews our hearts, we are, by definition, we are slaves then to our own desires. So what we feel is most important to us, what we need, what our wants are. And this can be manifest also in a need to, or a a self-righteousness. And that is what we see uh, with the Galatians, that they were seeking self-righteousness. So trying to earn their way to God. And we also see this a lot in the New Testament with the early Jewish Christians kind of trying to combine the Old Testament law with the new covenant that we have in Christ. And so... We were enslaved before Christ. Christ came to set us free. And uh, so before that, we were enslaved. And it was a part of our lives. And so we were enslaved by something that wasn't real. It didn't offer life. It wasn't a God. And that's his point there. It wasn't something that had anything to give. And it was something that was leading us in only one direction. And that's to death. Because we know... In uh, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the key word there is gift. It's a gift. It's something that has to be received. And uh, before that gift is received, there's only one direction. There's only one wage for our lives, either if it's if we're driven by our own selfish desires or if we have this self-righteousness where we think we're doing everything perfectly and right, but in the end, they have the same result. And that's really, this is a, a nice image of the entire book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is, is set into this exact point that there are three possibilities. There's living for yourself, doing, any, doing what you want, doing what feels right at the time. There's living for self-righteousness in the sense of if I do everything perfect, then I'll be good enough that somehow I've earned my, I've earned God's approval. So he owes it to me now. And then there's the way, the truth, the light, Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And as we've talked about quite a few times throughout this series, that we are justified, we are made righteous by faith in Christ alone. So, Getting back to our text, looking at verse 9, chapter 4. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable 
principles and some translations forces, which I like better. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Oh, this is the big question, right? Something that I think applies to all of us. Whenever we find that we're maybe backsliding, maybe going back to living how we used to live, going our own way, and either whether it's a backsliding and a towards a, a, a selfish kind of, you know, maybe partying and doing whatever we want to do, or if it's falling back to a self-righteousness. I think Paul, and the way we see this in this text is that there's, they're equally, they're equal. They're both the wrong way. There's only one true way. And if you're doing everything perfect to try to earn salvation or you're doing everything for yourself, you're really, it's just two sides of the same coin. The point is that we have to have faith in Christ. And that's what Paul's asking here. He says, how is it that you're turning back? And that's the real question. Why would you turn back to that? Why do we turn back to our sins? Why do we go backwards? And at the start of verse 9, we see our relationship with God depicted in these two phrases, which I think is key to understanding what it means to understand why, why he's so perplexed, he says at the end of the, of, of the passage. I'm perplexed about you because of this, these two phrases. And he says it, you know God, and then there's the phrase, you are known by God. And I think it's interesting. I think first we have to look at the, you know God, and how, I think Paul's reminding them of how amazing it is, how truly unfathomable it is for us humans to know God at all, to know him, especially as we looked at couple weeks ago to look at him as father to know god us to know our creator is something amazing but paul points out that that's only half of it what's even greater still is that you are known by god and there's this really great verse it's it's often used but it's one of my favorites where uh King David, this mighty man, this, you know, God, man after God's own heart, this kind of a, a man of war, of strength, is looking up at the, at the stars. And in uh, Psalms 8, uh, chapter, uh, verse 4, he says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Emphasizing how small we are. And I mean, if you've ever looked up at the night sky, on a clear night and you're not in a city, which is harder and harder to do, especially in Europe. But it's so vast. It's so amazing. And uh, when we think about God being this creator of everything, and then we try to grasp him knowing us, we have to, I have to stand with David. Oh, who is man that you are mindful of him? But then at the same time, there's the other side of it. So when we say known by God, well, what are we talking about actually? Because... Of course, God, God knows all of his creations, right? He is aware of every, uh, it says that, the Bible says that he knows the hairs of your head. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. So, of course, he knows you. So what is he talking about, that you are known by God? Of course, they're known by God. But I think he's making something, uh, he's making a different point than that. This is what I think, and this is something we also talked about a few weeks ago, and, and so I'm going to reemphasize it because I think it's important, is that uh, God loves us, truly loves us. And when we talk about being known by God, I think being known by God here in this context is knowing that you're known by God. And that's the difference. They had a revelation, if you will. They had a they came to this truth that they are known by God. And he's pointing out how amazing that is. And when we say known by God, we're talking about not just uh, that he knows us as he knows that we exist, but he knows us. He put promises on our lives. He gave us hopes. And we talked about this before, that it's knowing the truth that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's 
knowing that right now, in this moment, you are known by God, that you are accepted by God, that you are loved by God, apart from anything that you can do or anything you've done or anything you will do, bad or good, you are known and loved and accepted by God now. That's what's being known by him. And to know that you're known by him is something powerful. And he's emphasizing you, you know God, but you are also known by him. And I think he's reminding them that they know that they're known by God. And he's asking, how can you when you know this, when you grasp that you're loved by God, that you're accepted by Him, that you're truly seen by God in your inmost parts, how can you then turn back to something else? How can you then go back to trying to do it on your own? And I ask, how indeed? <laughs> that is the question. And we've all been there. I've been there. I've, I've, maybe, I'm, maybe just be where we forget this it's so easy to forget how truly loved we are by god to forget that we're accepted by him even when we're making those mistakes because he died for our sins a long time ago (laughs) and he covered those sins in that moment and it's covered forever it it doesn't change based off of what you do now there is aspects of what we need to do for God. But we have to first always get back to this remembering that we're known by Him, remembering we're loved and accepted fully by Him apart from anything that we can do to earn it. You weren't there on the cross to earn what Jesus did for you, and He doesn't die for everyone individually. He died once for all the sins of the world. So let's get back to our text. Galatians, verse 10. And here Paul is pointing out their their fault. What were they doing wrong? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Now, when I first read that, I think, okay, so what? Like, what's the big deal? Like, uh, they're making a couple days special and uh, Paul's, you know, kind of seems to be overreacting. And um, I think at first glance, we can easily think that, but reminding ourselves of the context of what they were before. They lived a ritualistic life, and so they're falling back into their old ways. They're falling back into this idea of making things about the ritual, and that leads to this idea of I've I'm earning my way to something, and ultimately that leads to this sense of entitlement that you deserve something when in reality it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. It's something that's done and was done for us apart from us. And um, something, just to emphasize how, how something really seemingly insignificant can actually have a huge impact, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And here Paul is talking about food that's been sacrificed to idols. And uh, here he gets, it's a little bit more extreme, but I think the principle still applies. And um, so he, there's food that's been offered to, that's been uh, alter, uh, offered to, uh, as a sacrifice to altars. Um, you know, he's kind of talking about what is it, uh, what does this really mean? Because he, obviously Paul, Paul's main message was preaching that we're free from the law, that we're, we have freedom in Christ and we no longer have to live by these strict laws. And so, why, you know, he was kind of for, you know, saying that that's not a good thing to do, to eat food that's been offered to idols. But then how does that line up? And here he kind of sheds this into, I think, uh, a different light. And this is verse 19 and 20. So what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Now that's extreme. 
but I think it's something that's a warning. Here's the, the example that I, I think of. You know, if, if you take an apple, and here's his point. If you take an apple and you, it's offered to an idol, is the apple then evil? Is the apple then somehow cursed? Of course not. It's just an apple. It was an apple. It's still just an apple. And he's even saying, is the idol anything? No, it's just wood or metal or, what, or whatever it was made out of. It's, it's, it's not anything in itself. But sometimes there are things behind these actions that can be sinister. And in some cases, even demonic. And I think the warning here that I just felt in my heart we needed to at least touch on is the seriousness of this issue that there is a devil. And uh, you don't hear it said a lot, but there is a devil. And he does exist. And he is a being. And his goal is always to get us off track by any means necessary. Again, we have one way. Christ is the way. And there are two possibilities. There's living for yourself and there's living for self-righteousness. And he loves both of those equally. He loves the person who goes to church every Sunday and does everything perfect but has no relationship with Christ as much as the Satan worshiper that's you know doing crazy things in addicts. It doesn't really matter to him which way you choose, as long as you don't find Christ, as long as you don't find the one true way. And so I do want to emphasize that, but I also want to remind everybody that not everything bad that happens is demonic. Uh, I am in no way implying that either. We in ourselves are quite capable of immense evils apart from any other outside forces. Uh, And just because you you know, have a bad day or get a headache or something. It doesn't mean that you're being attacked by demons or... So I want to be very clear that is not the stance I'm taking. But I do want to say that we need to be aware that there is this evil force that does exist and his goal is to lead us off the path, to lead us away from Christ by any means necessary. And First Peter 5, uh, verse 8 it says, be alert and of sound mind, and of sober mind, sorry. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, this, this isn't something that's always, you know, it's not to fire and pitchforks and, you know, horned creatures. It's usually very subtle. It's something that's not always obvious. And uh, at times can even seem like the right thing to do. He sometimes leads us down a path that is right. And not directly. He may not directly lead you down a path. But as we see with the Galatians, he was leading these leaders to lead the people away. And so we have to be really cautious of what's behind certain actions. They can have, uh, it can seem like the right way. I mean, the, Galatians, they thought they were living extra holy lives by, you know, not just believing in Christ, but observing all these special days and, and uh, all these specific laws. And, but in reality, it was leading them further away from Christ, leading them further away from the truth. So we have to be careful and be aware and sober-minded, sharp and looking for these things. This is why it's so important to know these truths and to remind ourselves of them on a regular basis. So, getting back to our text, we're going to go through uh, verse 11 through 14 and kind of look at each verse. So verse 11, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now, at first that seems kind of harsh. Again, it seems like he's given up on them, but I do not believe that he is writing that with a a sense of regret. He's writing it with a fear. That's why he says, I fear for you. He's really afraid that they're going to go one of these two ways away from Christ, that they're not, that either they never really received the truth, they never really had a changed heart, or that they're going and and falling back and uh, living for themselves in this self-righteousness. And so it's a, a statement of passion and a statement of love and care for their souls and for their well-being. 
And in verse 12, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. And I just want to explain what that verse means. Um, Again, just this heart of caring for the people. I plead with you. He's longing for them to remember what they know. Remember the truth of being known by God. And um, these these two phrases, uh, become like me and I became like you. First, I want to look at... uh, became like you that's referring to how paul lived that when he was with the the people of galatia he lived as they did he would have eaten with them and uh, as a jew he lived as a gentile showing the freedom that we have in christ and um, even speaking their language and eating their foods and and just it's it's more of a connection that he had with them and when he says become like me he's He's referring to how things have turned. So he came there and lived as they did to show them that they have, that this is, that there is no law, there's freedom that we have in Christ. And now they're going back to living by the law that he showed them they were free from. So he's saying, no, no, live, be like me. You know, you're free. You don't need to go back to these regulations and these rules. You don't need to go back. Live as I am, free as a son, as a daughter of Christ. So that is, I think, the emphasis there. And this, you have done me no wrong, is merely referring, and he kind of touches it on this later in the text, that they treated him well. That while he was there, they didn't do him any wrong. They treated him well, which we'll see why that's important. In verse 13 and 14, as you know, It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now this section is where we kind of get this glimpse of what might have happened uh, in Paul's experience that brought him there. We don't know all of the details. We know he was, uh, it was probably at the time that he was traveling, uh, probably, possibly with Mark at the time, and uh, he must have gotten sick and uh, to the point where he was so ill that he couldn't travel anymore. And when he says that you, it was a trial to you, that you uh, and you didn't treat me with contempt, it's uh, the implication there that, and this is not just my opinion, this is uh, based off of research, but uh, the idea would be that it was most likely something very unsightly. So maybe boils on it, on his skin, or some kind of infection or rash, or something that was very, you know, obviously at that time with things like leprosy and other very contagious diseases going around, when somebody had legions on them or, or something with their skin people generally didn't want to have anything to do with them especially in that culture the with the pagan uh, beliefs they would have thought maybe he was under some kind of curse from a god and so it would have been better not to have anything to do with him but he says no you you received me you welcomed me and you treated me well and reminding them again of the personal experience that happened so he's i think it's this kind of connecting with them and just to bring them back to this point of knowing what they know because he's so again perplexed that they would walk away that they would go backwards and so i think he's just bringing in this personal uh connection and this point that i just want to touch that he um he says you welcomed me as if i were jesus or if i was an angel from god i think that's he's not in any way implying that they thought that he was christ or that he was you know somehow glorious or above other people um that is merely to say that they received his words as a messenger of christ that they received him as if christ was speaking to them directly and that's obviously important because um it shows that it wasn't, they didn't think that this was just Paul's opinion. He's emphasizing, hey, remember, you didn't just take me for my word. You received it as the word of Christ. So take it with that weight. And again, reminding them and bringing them back to what they knew. Verse 15 and 16. So what has happened to all your joy? 
I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. That's just really shortly, obviously, some kind of reference to the type of illness that he would have had. We don't know what it was, but it must have affected his eyesight as well to the point maybe he couldn't see or maybe uh, was, it was difficult for him to see. And again, reminding them of the connection and how uh, asking, you know, where was, what, what's happened to your joy? Reminding them of how excited they were and how, uh, you know, overwhelmed and enthusiastic they were about Paul's preaching when he first came to them. And trying to understand, remembering all of this, how is it then that you're going backwards? Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And here we see this drastic transformation that Paul's just straight up calling them out. He's just calling them out on their, their, just, uh, their hypocrisy here. That they would go back. And here I think he's reminding them also of, hey, when I was there, they, they would have, we know from earlier in the text or in this uh, book that they saw signs and wonders that uh, miraculous things happened through Paul while he was there. And while all of this, you know, grace and just kind of overwhelming receiving of freedom in Christ, they were on board, they were excited, but as soon, so they, they received him as an angel of the Lord. That's the emphasis of how well they received him. And then we see this transition of, uh, that they're making him his, their enemy because he continued to try to challenge them and to direct them and to encourage them to stay in line with what Christ, what living for Christ is all about. And they didn't like that. And so his point is, you know, when things, when you really liked what I had to say, you were on board but now that things are getting a little more difficult and your walk with God is getting a little harder, you're just turning back to your old ways. You're turning back to your old religion and not staying in line with Christ. And it's, I mean, how easy is it? I mean, this is something that we see a lot today with uh, people going where it feels good with churches and different ministries. And, you know, how easy is it for us to follow those that you know preach what we like and preach what makes us feel good but how important is it for us to find a place where at all costs the truth of God is preached where the truth of God is proclaimed because it's only by the truth that we're set free and truly set free verse 17 Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. And I want to define that word, zealous, uh, just so we're all on the same page. Um simple definition is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or of an object and or objective objective sorry and so that is a key here when he talks about those people he's of course referring to the false teachers these people that were leading them astray and he's very clear on what their motives were their motives were not to teach people the truth, their motives were to make themselves the center point. To get everybody, to get the the people of Galatia, to get all these churches focused on them, to make themselves the objective. They were enthusiastically pursuing themselves. And they wanted to lead people because they wanted people to follow them. They were selfish in their intentions. And we have, to, we have to be looking out for that. When we're talking about this idea of how there is a devil and there is this sometimes intentions that maybe the, maybe the devil's not attacking you directly, but 
we have to also be careful of who we're letting put input into our hearts. We have to be careful about who we're letting speak into our hearts. If we're going to open ourselves up to receive something from somebody, we need to be careful about what their intentions may be. And Paul's very clear, their intentions were to alienate them from the truth, to alienate them from the people of that truth. And their intentions were to make it about themselves. And we have to be careful and be looking out for signs of false teaching, which is common. And Paul counters this with a direction that's good for all of us. He says, but it is good to be zealous when the cause is good, when we're zealous for the truth, when we're zealous to be passionate about our love for Christ. We should be enthusiastically pursuing our Savior, pursuing our relationship with Him as Lord, as Father in our lives. And I really like this phrase, not only when I am with you. So He's, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, but the idea there is not just on Sundays, you know, not just when you're with your Christian friends, not just when the pastor's watching, not just when mom is watching, as we all maybe have a mom like that, I do. And uh, that's his emphasis here, because what happens in the quiet places, in the secret places when we're alone, can be a huge part of how we grow. So he's saying, be zealous, be enthusiastic, be excited about good things, but be it always, not just sometimes, not just when it's convenient or when certain people might be watching. So, verse 19 and 20. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I am, in the pain, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I think that is a bold comparison to compare yourself with a woman giving birth to a child. But I think it's this great example of this deep love. He has such a love for others and for them and a longing for their salvation and to see God's transformation complete in their hearts, to see them finish the race, to see them finish strong. And I think it's safe to say that we might all have an idea of this kind of uh, motherly love, the way her mom loves her children. And so it's no small thing, I think, that Paul makes this comparison. He's talking about this pain of seeing them fall back and this hurt. But at the same time, it's worth the pain. I think that's the comparison here. Is it's, it's worth the pain to see them, to, the, to see Christ fulfilled and fully formed in them. It's worth it. It's worth it for him. And I think there's a lot that can be said about this, but uh, I just want to briefly touch on it. It's this, this idea of, of Paul's love for them so much of, uh, of comparing himself, of, of, of wanting to see their, their completion, even, even if it pains him. And I think that uh, it's something that we need to kind of always have in mind as believers that do the people in my life, do I care for them that way? Do I love the people in my life so much that I, I spend time praying for them, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth, that they would see Christ as their Savior, and uh, I don't, we don't have a lot of time to get into that. No time, actually. But I think uh, it is something that I just want to throw out. That it's a question we should be always asking ourselves is, do the people in my life, do I care about them that way? I mean, Paul just happened upon these people. He just was traveling and got sick and got stuck there. And of course, being Paul, he preached the gospel to them. And so um, in our lives, I think we can be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with the people around us. And really quickly, that's not something that needs to be all 
crazy. You don't need to start, you know, shouting repent at everybody you work with. But what you can do is make sure that people are aware that you're a Christian. If people don't know you're a Christian, then you're not setting, you can't be setting an, a Christian example. We, you know, we hear the phrase, you know, uh, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. I think that's how it goes. And uh, it's a good phrase, but uh, you do need some words. Some words are necessary. People need to have an understanding that you are a Christian um, in order for them to be able to see you as an example. And um, that's as simple as just saying, hey, what'd you do this weekend? I was at church. I mean, you know, it's a really simple way to just let people be aware that you are a Christian. And I've experienced this at my workplace. I have a regular job and uh, I've experienced that where people have had questions about, and sometimes it's just, you know, crazy questions just because they want to mess with me. Um, but people do have questions. And I've noticed that there are times when people have genuine questions that they kind of try to hide with sarcasm. But they're really curious to know, well, what does this mean? And do you really believe this? And well, what does this mean to you? And uh, it's little opportunities like that that can help us to be knowing, hey, I, can, I should invest a little more on this person or be praying for this person a little more. So it's as simple as that. And I, yeah, didn't really have that in my notes, but it's on my heart, so there it is. And, um, but living out this, going, <laughs> going back on track here, we need to be on track in following Christ. And... Um, I want to talk about this idea of the dangers of, of backsliding, the dangers of, of falling back, and what do we do about it? How do we prevent it? And um, there's this really cool quote from John Wesley. He's a uh, theologian, and he's talking about how he grew up in church. His, his father was a minister, grew up in church, knew uh, the Bible well, was working with the poor and living this good life, but he later realized he wasn't really saved. And um, he wasn't true. He didn't have a true relationship with God. He was living self-righteously. And he has this quote to say about it. He says, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. And I really like that. It's not, we're not just servants of God. We're sons and daughters. And that is the key to remind ourselves every day that you are a child of God. We serve him, and, that's, and it's something glorious. But we have to first come with this, this childlike faith, as the Bible says. And that, what that is, is a, it's just a child accepts the love of their parents no matter what. They know they're loved in a typical situation. And we need to know that we're loved first. And that is what... We have to be reminding ourselves. And actually, John Wesley uh, also talks about that he, about needing to be reminded. And he has, uh, over his uh, desk, he put the, a quote from the Old Testament of how the, that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to remind himself that he was brought out of something, brought into sonship. And so, whatever it takes for you, and I think everybody is different, Find a way to remember that you're loved by God. Remember that you're known by Him. And it sounds like, well, okay, yeah, okay, I know. But what about when things get hard? What about when things are difficult? What about when you live kind of a, in a different direction for a, a season or all of the reasons that we can fall down a different path? Find a way that you will not be able to forget that. And a key, a few things that I want to just give you is to be praying every day. Paul says, pray without ceasing. And when we're praying, when we're communicating with God as our Father, we're connected to Him. And we're connected to that relationship. And to be vigilant, as we saw what in, uh, in 1 Peter, that we need to be vigilant aware that there is an enemy out there. There is someone trying to get us to go the wrong way. And not just the devil, but lots and lots of people that want us to go the wrong way because they don't know any better. And so we need to be vigilant and watchful and, uh, and to know God's word. And 
We need to be reading his word and to know his promises, I think is the key phrase, to know his promises, that God has so many promises over us in the word of God about being made the righteousness of God and and, uh, how his spirit dwells within us. And let's not be like the Galatians and forget what we know, forget what we were taught. They did really well. They were not, uh, they were, they were living for God, but then something happened and they started to slowly forget and that led them to go back to what they were before. So we have to be vigilant. And lastly, I think uh, most important is be in love with Jesus. Be in love with Jesus. Live in love with Jesus. That's what being, that's what living loved by God is all about. I want to invite the band. Go on, come back up. It's not always easy, and it's not always clear. It's not always, you know, easy to to grasp. But when we know him and are known by him, it's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment thing. Like any relationship, if you've ever been in a relationship or are in a relationship, and if you have a family, that counts too. So everybody has had some kind of relationship. You know that it's a day-to-day thing that causes a relationship to grow. And so our investment in that is not in the, I'm going to make this crazy, awesome decision. It's day after day, remembering who we are, remembering what God is to us as our Father. So we're going to go ahead and start. And I want to invite you guys to stand and worship. But I also want to uh, ask you to consider the idea that if you have something on your heart, if you have maybe a, maybe a sin that's been growing, maybe a, it's something where you've been going in the wrong direction or uh, backsliding, take a moment to yourself and just give it to your Father to just pray and ask Him to put you back on track and to remind you of who you are in Him and to remind you of your relationship with Him as Father. So I want to encourage you to do that as well during this time of worship.